Hello, everyone, and welcome to At WCSU. It's the podcast that tells you everything you want to know about Western Connecticut State University. Today, we are going to take a break from the subject of the past several weeks, COVID-19, teaching from home, tearing our hair out, and we're going to talk about or talk with Lionel Bascom, who's an actual veteran of the civil rights movement and a professor at WestCon. But first, I am Paul Steinmetz, and I'm here with Pete Puccio, the at WCSU engineer. Hello, Pete. How are you doing in these interesting times? I'm okay, Paul. It's it's weird, you know, just talking to, to people that I know, people that have been at protests, people I know who are police officers. It's just, it's it's very strange, and it's very removed from my everyday life here in, you know, suburban, you know, living in the woods in Connecticut. So it's it's strange. Yeah, that's uh, part of what uh, we're going to talk about with Lionel, right, is uh, that um, you have to think about it. You have to actively act, if that uh, makes sense, and... Uh, you know, but you do have, you, you live in a world, you're raising kids, your wife's out working among COVID-19 patients. We're trying to get this university set up for um, uh, school again. And in the middle of it, there's these horrible crises that, um, you know, make you stop and think about what's uh, going wrong with the world. Yeah, and I think like like Lionel said, and not to step on it, not to step on the interview too much, but, you know, he said that we don't really know. You know, most people don't really know exactly what's going on, and that's okay. And it's okay to to stop and think and learn before you decide how you feel about something. I think that's important. Right. Yeah, very important. Uh, as I said, Lionel Bascom was in the civil rights movement literally as a child and has been living it and working it ever since. Very, uh, I, I respect him a lot, and he, uh, partly because he is thoughtful, and along with all his experience and uh, the ways that that has changed him. He has some really important things to say that are really good for right now, when we are all uh, trying to work through the uh, horror and the turmoil. And... Um, I think we can go to him right now, right? We'll come back at the end and uh, wrap it up, right, Pete? Yep. All right. Here's Lionel Baskin. Hi, Lionel. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for helping us out today. Oh, that's fine. It's fine. It's my pleasure. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well, I think, uh, you know, except I'm getting... Uh, hammered on social media by people accusing the university and by implication me as this poster the writer of some of the stuff uh you know horrible racist so oh really we're trying to deal with all that on what basis what are they what are they accusing you of we uh um on facebook we first were we put out a few things saying hey you know we're um um we're with everybody. And then on Tuesday, it was Blackout Tuesday, and we didn't do anything. And some people started to say, hey, you guys, you're the institution that needs to say you stand with Black Lives Matter. You know, you don't stand for racism, et cetera. So we wrote something. And um, unfortunately, I wrote 
you know, we, we support all students. The first few people who, et cetera, et cetera. And the first few people who read it, you know, liked it and stuff. And then somebody said, oh, you stand for all students. Are you saying, is that a dog whistle for uh, all lives matter instead of black oh, lives that's, matter? That's terrible. That's and terrible. so that got everybody going. And then, they, we ha- then I wrote an apology saying, you know, we stand with black lives matter, et cetera, et cetera. And now they're going after Colonial Chuck, too, which I understand. I don't think Colonial, you know, Chuck is the best mascot either. And, you know, that's causing a conversation. But people are very angry about everything. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a a problem. Everybody's so sensitive and uh, uh, hard to talk to. I mean, some of my friends are... uh, uh, are, are hammering me because I'm not complaining about the uh, violence and the protesting. And I'm not complaining because I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who these people are. Um, this happen, This sort of thing happens after every protest. And mm-hmm. what, I, what I'm telling people to do now who are protesting and uh, are uh, confronted with police lines Sit down, don't back up, because mm-hmm. and don't run, uh, because if you do, that gives the provocateurs the opportunity to run too, and to do damage. Right. Um, uh, well, it's, so it's very difficult for an ordinary person to sort sort out. Yeah, and this is the the um, incident, an incident that is bringing in a lot of everyday people who you know who think about it sometimes who are. Um, <laughs> the whole range from people who are not overtly racist, but are, uh, but are um, maybe uh, not acknowledging that uh, uh, things like white privilege and uh, uh, the privilege of uh, uh, that people white people get just because they're white, uh, to people who are. Um, uh, actively, you know, sometimes who who have been active in ra- racial issues or uh, protesting against racial issues, um, etc. To everyone, and it's just making everybody angry. Well, the idea to to accuse you of being racist of all people is just preposterous, and the people who know you uh, just know better. I I, I still. Uh, tell everyone how wonderful you were with Aaron for many years while she was in undergraduate school and graduate school and how the, the newspaper supported her um, unequivocally. And it, 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 and now to have to sort of battle these, these charges is just ridiculous. Yeah. Aaron's your niece who was an intern at the News Times when I was there and a great kid who's now an adult with two kids of her own, I guess, right? She's having she's having her second one now in September. Oh, okay, good. Yes. Um, uh, thank you for that. But, you know, I do represent the institution. The institution has a lot of history, good and bad. Everybody acknowledges that. Everybody, you know, in the institution acknowledges it's a very imperfect world. Um, of course... We get bashed by the uh, other side if we uh, when we start talking like that too. Although we don't take it quite as we don't take it as seriously, we we um, uh, respond to it, you know, and say, "Hey, this is what our position is." 
Anyway, the uh, I thought it would be interesting to talk to you who has been involved in the civil rights movement as a participant, as a writer, uh, an academic, how do you say that? As a teacher, and um, your whole life, right? Yeah, I started in in, in Danbury uh, as the junior vice president of the NAACP when I was a kid, um, and we were um, counseled at the New Opat Baptist Church in nonviolent protesting um, in the in the image of Martin Luther King, and um, uh, we were taught how to uh, uh, protest how to nonviolently protest, uh, and if attacked in any way, to not fight back, uh, sit down, fold your your arms, uh, do not resist, uh, or become dead weight and let the uh, attackers pick you up as dead weight, which is hard to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But we we were taught not to fight back. And um, um, my most memorable experience was when I was 16, we left New Hope Baptist Church in the middle of the night, uh, went to the train station downtown uh, where you have the tall Uncle Sam now, and we waited for a train. And we, we boarded that train in 1963. Um, I was uh, chaperoned by the elders in the church all the way to Washington. And we never got off that car. We got on a car in Danbury, and that car was moved all the way to Washington, D.C. without us ever having to, ever having to leave. Uh, the railroad moved that car from place to place, uh, hooking us up with different engines. And we got to Washington, and we got off the train and uh, did the protest. We heard Martin Luther King give his I Have a Dream speech. Uh, and then we were escorted by local church members to different churches where we were fed and uh, uh, given water, and then driven back to the same train, the same car, and that same car was brought back to Danbury um, without us ever having to leave. And it was a memorable experience for me, and I'll never forget that. But that car was filled with all kinds of people uh, from all walks of life, uh, 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 rabbis and ministers and church members of different churches in Danbury, and uh, 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 that was the civil rights movement that I remember. Um, and now these protests are um, reminiscent of that period. Uh, and back in those days, there were there were provocateurs who did riot and they did burn bound buildings and things like that. But I don't know who those people were. Those were not mm-hmm. the people that I knew in, in, in the movement. These were people who took advantage of a situation, and that's what's going on now. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking about now? Uh, um, you started out a long time ago, and you've lived through a lot of different stuff. This is a confusing time because uh, people are really ripe to take sauce uh, immediately. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, an incident that I had a week ago uh, uh, in the rural uh, part of New Hampshire where I am now uh, illustrates the conundrum we are all in. I was uh, driving uh, my car and I uh, swerved to avoid someone who was passing me in a big truck on the right. 
and he came mm-hmm. very close to my car. I swerved to avoid him, and he was passing me on the right, and I, I barely saw him. And so I avoided him, and I kept going. About 10 minutes later, I was pulled over by a cop uh, for reasons I couldn't understand. I had no idea why they were pulling me over. And anybody that knows me knows that I drive so slow that I certainly couldn't be pulled over for speeding. Um, anyway, this woman, uh, sergeant, cop, uh, came to my window and said to uh, ask for my license and registration. They gave her. Uh, she was very polite. Uh, she went back to her cruiser. And I looked behind me, and then she said uh, that a someone had a, had called the police on me and said that I sideswiped them and then left the scene. Well, I don't know what – I had no idea what she was talking about. And I said, no, I had an incident where uh, someone passed me on the right, and I swerved to avoid him, but I didn't hit that car, and I certainly wouldn't have left the scene if I thought I had. Anyway, she was very polite, and she looked to the right of my car, looking for damage, uh, which she couldn't find. Um, she said, well, there doesn't seem to be any damage here. I said, no, because I didn't hit anybody, and I would not have left the scene of – uh, uh, an accident if, if I'd had one. Anyway, I, I look in my real view mirror and I see a line of police cars behind me. Oh Four God. or five police cars behind me now. And standing in the street next to those cars were half dozen cops, including a, 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 a plainclothes policeman. Now I'm alarmed. I don't know what's going on. And uh, somewhere uh, out of the ether of New Hampshire, she found a black cop, which is probably the only black cop in the state, yeah. who came to my window and uh, gave me back my license and registration and said that someone had called and complained that I sideswiped him and left the scene. He looked for damage. He said, well, I don't really see any damage. I see a little paint mark which could be the paint of that truck that you uh, avoided hitting, but I don't know. I said, well, I didn't hit anybody. I, I, uh, I, I did have that incident. Anyway, what this woman was doing, and I didn't realize it until after the fact, where she was diffusing the situation, which could have been very bad for me. Mm-hmm. Um, she found a black cop in New Hampshire somehow, and he was a private. She was a sergeant. Mm. And she didn't have to defer to him, but she did. And he said to me, uh, you're free to go, no ticket. Uh, you may get a call from the uh, local police station about this incident, and they're going to file They'll file a report. And you may have to pay to have the, this man's truck uh, simonized. I said, fine. And I left. But what, this was a situation that could have been very bad for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone used their privilege against me. Mm-hmm. And I have mixed emotions about it because this sergeant did a very wonderful job of making sure that that situation did not escalate. Mm-hmm. And she diffused the situation in a very professional way. And I'm grateful for her. And I, then what they did was this truck was in the behind me somewhere in this sea of police cars, but they mm-hmm. kept him there while I pulled off so that he couldn't follow me. Uh, and have an incident somewhere 
along the way. Um, and so the situation sort of leaves me uh, in a conundrum because she was very professional. But this guy used his privilege against me and made an, a, an unfair accusation, just, just like that woman did in Central Park, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and said that I had sideswiped him, which I did not. Um, yeah. Anyway, it would have been my word against his if this sergeant had not done her job, and she really did a wonderful job. So it leaves me um, understanding two sides of this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my side, which was very dangerous at the time. I didn't even realize how dangerous it could have been. Why is a plainclothes cop at the scene of a traffic stop? That yeah. never happens. Well, it's because somebody is talking about this situation, and somebody is saying, well, this is a potential volatile situation. Right. Um, well, anyway, it, it illustrates the difficulty that people have on both sides of this argument. Mm-hmm. And we don't always have all the information. Yep. You know, the... Uh... One reason the George Floyd um, killing is so uh, inflammatory is that we do have the information. We saw that cop kill George Floyd without any um, uh, interference from the other three cops standing there. It is um, uh, upsetting and horrifying. And so people are upset justifiably. I think it's interesting, and what you're talking about, I think, is what uh, somewhat is uh, what happens after that. What happens with the marches and the ones that uh, turn violent and the um, language that's used and the interpretation and the, um, um, as you said, everybody's looking to pick a side, right? Yeah, they want to pick a side, and they want it to be cut and dry, and it's not cut and dry. You know, back yes, in now. the '60s, of course, you were you went through a lot. There was a lot of um, choosing sides and re and anger on uh, across a wide spectrum, and of course, murders of um, uh, black people and innocent kids and all that kind of thing. Uh, was it? Is this more charged than it was then? What you remember then? This is more charged because. We were counseled on how to behave in the situation, and the churches stepped in and said, "Here's this is this is a volatile situation, and here's how we must act." And so we were trained. I was 16 years old. We were trained to participate in nonviolent uh, protests, hmm. and we were trained to sit down, to fold our hands. And if we were attacked, not to fight back, but in a situation where black people were being attacked by dogs and hoses mm-hmm. and police with bats and batons and very violent uh, clashes with people. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, well, now you have, look at these crowds now. These are huge crowds of people of every stripe and color. Mm-hmm. Why are they out there? Why are they outraged? And who are they? These are not violent people. These are our, our teachers, our accountants, our cafeteria workers, um, uh, the, the, the people who process our insurance claims. These are ordinary people, and they've been incited to come out for this situation. And so it's a very different situation now. And, and the federal government is really uh, um, 
um, complicit in, in fanning the flames by by blaming the violence at, at these, these these protests on one group, Antifa, uh, mm-hmm. and, and not other groups. And they know who the other groups are. Uh, sure. And, and well, they're not saying what, what is that? The um, I don't know. Richard Nixon was pretty uh, complicit and um, uh, maybe evil is not too strong a word. Maybe it's too strong, but he was very he used the race card. He did dog whistles and um, uh, got elected that way. Yeah, but that's uh, a, that's a tactic. That's a, that's a, that's what this this president is trying to do now. Uh, he, yeah. He's 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 drowning in his own ineptitude, uh, uh, and and the epidemic was the uh, camel. I mean, the straw that broke the camel's back, and now this murder. Uh, he has no idea how to deal with this, and so he sends troops to clear the streets so he can take his uh, photo op walking across the street. That's just criminal. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I'm told they're they're armed armed. They, they, they were. I don't know if you were in the military or not. Uh, uh, there were people walking around with snipers, sniper rifles. Hmm. Uh, and what is that? Who who is these? Who are these snipers targeting? And I don't know what the answer is, but but yeah. I've seen those rifles, and they've been ordered to go to these uh, uh, protests for what reason? And who hmm. are they targeting? And do they have rubber bullets? I don't know. Does and now social media is part of the mix too. There's a lot of good things about social media, communication, and informing people. Uh, that, but a lot of stuff goes uh, unchallenged and um, kind of blows up without. Um... The problem with social media is it's a it's a double edged sword. It is it's, it can be used, it can be weaponized, and Facebook, for example. Uh, let's uh, 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 people say whatever they say without without fact checking it, and it's very dangerous. And they mm-hmm. may say, "Well, it's not their responsibility." Well, it's your platform, and mm-hmm. your platform is very powerful. So, uh, I think they have a responsibility, uh, and they are a publisher whether they want to be uh, acknowledge it or not. And mm-hmm. they're 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 not doing their job in fact checking, and and so. The, uh, the the people who want to weaponize Facebook understand that, and so they're using it to, to weaponize their rhetoric, and it's very dangerous. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You were a newspaper guy, an editor, and writer, etc. And you know, you uh, sometimes newspapers blow it. And as I, I was a newspaper person, sometimes we blew it, made huge mistakes, and we took our lumps for it. But we did try to uh, get it right and to um, fact check too. You're right, that's missing from a lot of the stuff. Well, you know as well as I do, you couldn't write a letter to the editor without without it being fact checked, without uh, yeah. a name and a phone number mm-hmm. and a way yep. for, for us to verify that you're who you say you are. Right. Uh, and, and I think newspapers were, were as responsible as they could be in doing that and mm-hmm. and and well and, and and not not censoring people who wanted to write in and express an opinion but to make sure that the person writing 
uh, claiming to be uh, a citizen, uh, a reader, was in fact a, a reader. Do, um, do you have a feeling about where we're going to go from here? Are we going to, or is there two options? One, maybe things will change. The other one is nothing will change and then we'll have another horrible incident like George Floyd and uh, it'll blow up again? Or, and what are the steps if we're going to have change? I think there are too many um, uh, institutional um, problems with universities, cities, government, police. These, 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 in, these institutions have to be examined and changed one at a time. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be very – there's not going to be any magic bullet, and I don't expect there to be any uh, – visible change everywhere, but there's going to be some change somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, in New York City now, they, they are going to have a, a, a civilian review boards of police uh, departments. And when there's a complaint, it's a civilian review board that's going to uh, 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 take a look at the complaint. When I was a kid in New York, uh, uh, we knew the police on the beat. They walked off the beat mm -hmm. and we knew who they were. Mm -hmm. uh, and they knew who we were. Um, and uh, you couldn't even sit on a park if there was a fence. You couldn't even sit on a fence without the local police saying, hey, uh, uh, Lionel, get off that fence. And he was and he knew who I was. He knew who my parents were. He knew who my aunts and uncles were because he lived in the neighborhood. If you look at police departments now, you're going to find that the police do not live in the neighborhoods that they patrol. Right. So they don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. Are there a few few players? But mm -hmm. they don't know a grandma sitting on the porch or the Uncle Ed walking to work. And they should. And so one of the ways that police departments around the, the country uh, solve their, their, their policing problem is they made the police live in the neighborhood. Well, that's over now. They're not doing that. So the police live in the suburbs, and they patrol the cities. Well, they don't know who they're dealing with. They don't know. They don't know the language these kids are speaking anymore, right. because they're not from that culture. Hmm. And so it's like they're invading a foreign land. Uh, so that's one way to police uh, the police. You need to live in this neighborhood. You need to live a block from the precinct, or two blocks from the precinct. And your children mm -hmm. need to go to the same schools that my children go to. Right. And the police will be very different. You have police in schools now who are roughing up eight-year-olds and locking up nine-year-olds, putting handcuffs on children in schools. Well, these, these may be unruly children, but they don't deserve to be handcuffed, but they're being handcuffed yeah. by police who don't live in that neighborhood. Yeah. And, and, and the problem is this. Okay, you can handcuff a nine-year-old if you want to, but you have to go to the grocery store this weekend and some old mm -hmm. lady is going to confront you for doing that. Right. So you're going to have to behave yourself. <laughs> and there are community standards that aren't written down anywhere, but everybody, you don't go to our church. You don't go to our church picnics. So we don't know who you are. You're mm -hmm. a foreign invader in our community. So, mm -hmm. and that speaks to this, who has all the jobs, who has all the jobs in all these cities? Look at mm -hmm. them and let's see if, this, if the people who have the jobs reflect the community. And you're going to find that they don't. Who are the mm -hmm. firemen? 
These are great civil service jobs. See if the firemen in the cities reflect the people in their neighborhood. They don't. And Mm so this is systemic. And the people who have the jobs and the unions who got them their jobs are not going to let them go without a fight. So you mentioned universities. Can you talk about what specifically Western Connecticut State should be doing uh, or could be doing right now or looking at? Well, one of the things that that the university could do if it decides is to is to write curriculum that includes others. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you don't have to. If, if you have African American studies. Who who takes those courses? African Americans, mm-hmm. right? You may have one or two white students who take those courses. Well, what's contained in those courses? The history of policing. In America, the history of, of 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 racism. The university could take a look at itself. Look at its, uh, for example, the uh, search committee process. Who's on those search committees? Uh-huh. Uh, who are the candidates? What are the what are the standards for hiring at the university? Uh, uh, how inclusive are those standards? And I'm not saying flood the university with African American uh, uh, teachers. Take a look at the um, the hiring. When I was there, there were clerks who came in. Black women came in as clerks, and they were clerks for 30 years. Yep. How did that happen? And they were not promoted. Right. Is it because they didn't want to be promoted? I don't think so. Take a look at the the athletic department. Who are the coaches? Who are the players? Who are the players on the basketball team? Who are the players on the football team? And who are the coaches? And you'll see a complexion difference. How did that happen? It's systemic. And it's not something he looks at or knows, but everybody knows the same thing I know. And curriculum is interting too there, i mean there's there's academic freedom, so professors <clears throat> have to be able to uh i don't know teach their own curriculum but there can there's guidelines right that the university um yeah we write we write we wrote guidelines and you know you you have you know uh, the and we had outcomes and so at the end of the semester, students had to meet specific standards right. they had to have been exposed to a specific curriculum, and that was the outcome. And so the committee sat down and wrote those things. Uh, uh, and there's a, every every department has a, a binder. Well, sure, it's online now, but uh, the course outlines. So um, what are the goals of those course outlines? You know, what are the, cumulatively, what are the goals? Mm-hmm. And in each department. And you mentioned um, there's a lot of institutions. Uh, it's not all going to change. Um, there will be some change in some places, is how I think you put it. How do you what, how do you feel about that? Oh, I think that it's such an enormous problem that reaches all the way back to slavery, hmm. and 
and and it who are the take a look this institution could take a look at their clerks who are these clerks yeah. where do they come from how long have they had these jobs and how do they get promoted mm-hmm. who are the directors of these departments who are the assistant directors of these departments and why were these women passed over ignored mm-hmm. they didn't complain they didn't complain so there's no problem well there is a problem mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's it's an institutional problem so what you do is okay we could beat you up about the past, or we could applaud you for the, your, your changes in the future. Mm-hmm. And I prefer to applaud you for the changes in the future. So, what are the pathways to becoming? A, what are the pathways to becoming uh, a coach? Mm-hmm. Well, and just examine it, take a look at it, and you're mm-hmm. going to find that there's a systemic pathway for certain people. Mm-hmm. And you're going to ignore certain other people, and it's systemic, it's deliberate, and it's systemic. The pa- in the athletic department, those assistant coaches get paid. I don't know what they get paid, but they also get free tuition. So you have a group of people who are given free tuition. They get their master's degree, and they move on out of the institution. But in the institution has a pathway for advancement for certain people. Who are those mm-hmm. people? Take a look at it. I don't want, don't ask me to tell you. Take a look yourself. Yeah. And then, oh, we've been doing this a certain way. I mean, here's another example. When I was a kid in Danbury, all my teachers were were, were um, women. Most of my teachers were women, and they were unmarried. And I didn't know this until I became an adult. But they were all single women. They were all spinsters. And if they got married, they didn't say lost the job. Yeah. Well, that was systemic. So who became the principal? Well, there were a few men in the system, and the men became all the principals in all the schools in Danbury were men. Mm -hmm. Well, how did that happen? It was deliberate, and it was systemic. So every institution can take a look at itself outside of what's going on in the rest of the world, and say, what are our practices? What are our common practices? Who are the deans? Who are the assistant deans? How did they get there? What was the process? There's a claim that there's a there's a search process. Now that process is 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 jury rigged in many ways to bring in the people you want to bring in, mm-hmm. and to keep out the people you don't want to bring in. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have anything to do with, with, with today. It has nothing to do with qualification. Uh, you, today you can take a, throw a rock in any direction and hit a black man with a, with a master's degree or a Ph.D. Yep. Uh, but where are they? Where are they in, in, in the institution? Mm-hmm. Well, how many dean, black deans do you have at the university? Why aren't there more? Or why should there be more? Maybe there shouldn't be more. And it depends on the the, the employment pool. So, yeah. you, well, you could look at the search, the search process and say, how does it really work? Well, I know how it's supposed to work, but it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is slow 
progressive change. And, you know, that, that's one of the things that uh, people complain about is that how slow does change have to be? Can it be faster? Well, it, here, here, here's an example about faster. In the 70s, they wanted quick change. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's my other phone ringing. Uh, they wanted change, quick change. And so they came up with affirmative action, which is going to repair uh, past injustices for, for minorities. And every, every uh, institution had a, an affirmative action officer. Well, who was this person? Take a look at who the person was. This was somebody who, who became a gatekeeper. And you had to get a pass from this gatekeeper to even apply. It happened mm-hmm. to be at Westcon. Uh, and I applied for certain jobs. And this gatekeeper said, I don't want you to apply for that job. Not that job, another job. So the gatekeeper is a key person. If gate, this gatekeeper is not squeaky clean. And then what they also did was they all had a community relations officer. And he was the one who was going to talk to angry black people or angry women or angry Latinos. Uh, and so he was basically the one who smoothed the feathers and soothed the nerves and had the kumbaya moments with these people. But the people who ran the corporation were were, were insulated from that. Right. So it was a it was a an idea that was corrupted as soon as it was instituted everywhere, mm-hmm. and it didn't it did not solve the problem. And I think the problem was people were looking for a silver bullet. There is no silver bullet. The only silver bullet that is going to happen is each institution examines itself and have an outside mm-hmm. uh, 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 source. Uh, uh, take a look at their practices and say, here's what you're doing. And don't be embarrassed mm-hmm. if they find something that you're doing that, you know, is not exactly what you should be doing. Find it. Fix it. Yeah. Should, those clerks should not be clerked for 30 years. Right. They should not have been clerked for – they should have moved up as directors, assistant directors in their departments. It, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no one looked at it. Those right. assistant coaches got their degrees, went, got free tuition at Westcon, moved on. They went to Boston University. They went to wherever they went. But the players were ignored. Who were the players? Right. Who played on the basketball team? Who played on the football team? Who played on the soccer team? Who played on the swim team? Mm-hmm. Were those players? Advance? Were they given an opportunity? No, they were exploited. So that's just one institution, but every institution, the city hall, the town council, uh, uh, the the select men in uh, New Fairfield, uh, mm-hmm. and well, and do they reflect? Does the institution reflect the community they're in? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no. You're doing something wrong. And you're talking about trickle down. There are employment problems. And so you have an economic problem with African-Americans in communities all across the country. Do they participate in the, the wealth of the university? Are they, who's getting paid? How many deans mm-hmm. do you have? Who's, who's getting those jobs? Gambria mm-hmm. uh, uh, has gone through a dramatic change. Uh, in 30 years, 
where you have a huge Brazilian population now. You have a huge Latino population now. Does the university reflect that change? No, it does not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who has those jobs? And and, and take a look. How did they get those jobs? Mm -hmm. Well, these are well-meaning people, you know, and if you offered me a job, I would take it. But the Mm -hmm. point is you don't represent the community that you're in. So if you look at the state of Connecticut, you look at uh, uh, different different states and different communities. Um, do you reach out to you have, you have people who want to reach out to the community? Uh, what relationships does this university have with uh, people in the community? And I'm not talking about cursory relationships. I'm talking about a pathway to, uh, um, well, for example, uh, uh, reaching out to junior high school in in, mm-hmm. in in town, bringing those students on the campus. Um, I remember once uh, the university did do that, and they brought in high school students, and um, we we gave these mini lectures to high school students, and uh, I I don't think we reached them very well, but we tried. And maybe if you know a, a university student got to meet a dean. And spend the day with the dean. Uh, it, this student in junior high school might have a very different sort of opinion of what the university is doing, yeah. and what the university is for, and how it might help them, and that might help recruiting, uh, 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 you know, uh, students in, in the in the future. Uh, but these are all things that have to happen um, with with foresight. Uh, the university has to um, examine itself. And say, okay, here's what we're doing, and here's what we should do. We can do better. Yep. Yeah. But it's not going to be fast. And anybody that says it's going to be fast is is, is fooling themselves. Yeah. Do you you've been doing this all your life, basically involved in it, thinking about it, writing about it? <clears throat> Have you stayed optimistic about the long run, or are you um, beaten down? No, I'll give you an example. Um, um, I got a, a text from a woman in Kent. And she asked me to reach out to my daughter, Molly, in Philadelphia, because this woman's son is a new pilot, a new commercial pilot. He's living in uh, Philadelphia. And it, ironically, they live in the same neighborhood. Hmm. Her, her son is a pilot. My daughter is a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. That's progress in my lifetime. Yep. Uh, uh, my 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 our children her children her her son and my daughter have many more opportunities than than i had mm-hmm. as a kid uh so so looking back when i was a kid westcon had no black students there were literally mm-hmm. no black students there was literally no there were literally no black professors at the university it was yeah. a state teachers college and uh you couldn't even apply yeah, and well, it was so subtle. No one said you can. We knew that we knew better, and so it didn't happen. And many yeah. of my friends uh, uh, had to go to to uh, 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 traditionally black schools in the South to go to college, hmm. but they couldn't go to college in their own town. But that's Ish. changed. So that's that. That's an example. You know, you're talking about thirty, forty years it took for that change to happen. Yeah, but it did happen. So I'm I'm optimistic that 
uh, Molly, uh, my daughter, and and uh, this pilot are, are going to have a very different life, and their children are going to have a very different life, and they're going to demand things uh, uh, that so that their children have opportunities too. So it's going to change. All right. I mean, they're actually demanding different things. They will be demanding different things, I guess, that you in our generation didn't even think about, right? At a different no, well, you're, you're a good example. You know how multicultural your family is and my family is and many other families. And so these children who are from, from uh, uh, multicultural families have a, are having a very different experience as children and as teenagers in their homes and in their schools, because there are many of them. Hmm. And it's not an uncommon situation anymore. Right. So when my daughter was young, we started the multicultural play group. Hmm. And uh, we took children of every race, and we made sure that they played together once a week. And, uh, well, we started, we thought we were going to be uh, uh, have a few. We were overrun with applications for this playgroup because mm-hmm. people were starving for a multicultural experience. And that, well, that, those children are grown now. Right. And their children are grown. They're having their own children now. So I'm confident that it's going to, that things are changing and that will change. And the people who are in charge of change may not be the people who are in charge of things now, but they're not going to last. They're not going to be in charge for long. Uh, there's right. a president of the United States who has cooked himself. He is not going to be reelected. And uh, whoever, uh, uh, if Joe Biden wins the nomination, he's going to have to go in and reconstruct all of the departments that this man has decimated. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. He's just one man. Uh, the Department of Education, the Department of uh, uh, Human uh, Resources, the Environmental Protection Agency. There are going to be new people who are going to go in there, and they're going to re- revitalize all those departments. And so there's going to be mm-hmm. dramatic change. So you have to be thoughtful about it. Think about it, though, right? You and your uh, family and starting the um, play group. That was a thoughtful step you took instead of just uh, being in a play group and hoping that maybe it was multicultural or that, uh, et cetera. That's how we have to be, it's, I think. And I was in the Navy. Whenever they court-martialed a black man in the Navy, they call me up and say, right, Lionel, we want you to go sit in, sit in on his court-martial. I mean, I'm 18 years old. I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah. I put my uniform on and I go sit in this room. I don't know what's going on. I've never been to a court before. I don't know what's going on. And I didn't know then, but I knew now why they did it. Uh-huh. If somebody said that they were impartially and they court-martialed this black man unfairly, they're going to say, well, no, we have a black man in the room. That's oh, that's an amazing story, too. Oh, oh, yeah. And that's what that is. Yeah. And and you take a stooge like me. I'm 18 years old. I don't know nothing. Right. And I just said, well, were you in the room? Yeah, I was in the room. I don't know what I was hearing, but I was in the room. Well, we sent him to Sing Sing for 30 years. For what? I don't know. I didn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But they set it up. So in case somebody complains about what they're doing. So if you look at that institution, the court martial system in the United States Navy is corrupt 
in some way. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's institutional. And they put me there for a reason, but I didn't know mm-hmm. what the reason was then. So to answer your question about change, change has mm-hmm. to be instituted by people who see something wrong. And protesting is one way, but there's another way too. And that is to spend some time examining this institution. That's what the, the university could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just itself, but other institutions. Mm-hmm. And then say, okay, what, did we, what are our findings here? And come up with independent findings and say, the university could say, the um, state legislature in Connecticut is um, – a racist institution because of its past. And here's the evidence. Or it's a a sexist institution. Here's how many men got promoted over how many women. Mm -hmm. Um, Qualified women, not just women, but qualified women. And the women aren't complaining. At WestCon, there were people who wanted to stay away from me because I was saying these things then. And there are people that I was defending didn't want me to defend them because they didn't want any trouble. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact. Right. It, it, does, it doesn't change the fact. If I, okay, you just don't know any better. Just like I didn't know any better as a, a sailor while I was being mm-hmm. uh, called in to sit in these court-martials. They were doing something wrong. That's what it was. I can't tell you what it was now because I wasn't aware enough then to pay attention. I don't know. And, you know, there's all these admirals and captains and, you know, I'm a seaman. So I can't ask them any questions. Don't listen to me. Right. Well, I didn't know any better. I was being used. Mm -hmm. Uh, The same way, back to affirmative action, they used people as affirmative action officers as gatekeepers. That's what their job was. Mm -hmm. And that's how they kept their jobs. And they were not there. I mean, I saw women who complained about being uh, uh, ignored, uh, harassed in different places, and they'd go to the affirmative action officer. And that, that, that affirmative action officer's job was to get information from that person who filed a complaint and get them out of the institution as soon as they could. Right. Well, you're complaining. You're a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to promote you right out of here. Mm-hmm. Are you going to work in another division? And what happened to her when she left? Yeah. Her career was over. And they made sure that her career was over. And in, in academia, if you complain, your career is over. Mm-hmm. Even if you go to another institution. When they ask you, your institution, how did Paul do, the answer is, well, I'd rather not answer that question. <laughs> yep. That's a dog whistle. Mm-hmm. It's a dog whistle. So this person who complained about a legitimate situation is isolated and harassed right out of the institution. So... Someone has to well. Someone has to protect that person. Mm-hmm. 
and someone has to uh, uh, examine what happened to that person. And there are mechanisms that are supposed to do that. Are they doing it? I don't know. Mm. Well, I mean, how many institutions, how many civil rights lawsuits are you seeing come out of the, the Justice Department now? None. Yeah. You can, mm-hmm. Well, you can be sure there's none now. Yeah. And what happens to those attorneys that are in charge of civil rights? Yeah. I don't know. No, well, I don't hear anything don't about them. them. Well, I don't hear anything about them, so I don't know. Right. Um, I can imagine, but that's, you know, I need to gather the facts. Mm-hmm. But that's what everybody has to do. That's what everybody has to do. To, right. to, to take action. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to get your own information and examine your sources. Who are the sources right. for your information? Well, we're trained that mm-hmm. in, in journalism, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, they used to say a reliable source. And then you could say something, and basically because it was a reliable, an anonymous reliable source. And that's what they used to do in the 70s. And, you know, that was not a great practice. But you believed in the institution. You believed in the New York Times. You believed in the Washington Post. And you believed that it was a reliable source. But now the problem right. is everybody needs to gather reliable sources to make their own decision about what happened at Travis, what happened at a traffic stop. Mm-hmm. Well, who's that plain clothes officer? He's not supposed to be there. That doesn't happen. You're kidding me. You don't have to be a genius to realize that some, someone called him to the scene for some reason. Right. And I don't know if he was the only one, you know, there were half, what do you need a half dozen cops to pull me over? No. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just a question. But the answer is, uh-oh, there's a situation here. And then the other answer is, how did how was it handled? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it was handled very well by a very professional sergeant who took charge of the situation, examined what was going on, and made – uh, uh, you know, a, a decision about how we're going to right. And 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 there are other situations like that. And I think that when you get another situation with another set of players, you have to examine the facts. Right. And yet you have a conclusion, and it may be a very different conclusion than mine. But you have to do the work. Right. All right, Lionel, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today, to be nice on the podcast. Well. I hope, you, hope your family's well. Thank you. You too. And uh, we'll be in touch soon again, okay? Okay. Thank you. Thanks. We're in a quiet period uh, on campus as far as uh, letting people know more information about how to register for classes, all that kind of thing. And uh, if you're listening and you want to join in, there's going to be a march uh, about uh, George Floyd and police brutality and racism on campus Friday, June 12th, around noontime. There'll be more information about that out there in the community. Otherwise, Pete, I think um, we're ready to sign off. Uh, So this is Paul Steinmetz with Pete Puccio. And you're listening to at WCSU. See you next week. 
At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Folby. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media and on the university's Facebook and Twitter pages. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.